Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the TSE podcast. So here we are at the TSE podcast. I'm with John today, John Bicknell, who plays bass for us on That's Formato Effect and also well known, of course, with his work with Squire. So the whole point of today's podcast was to get together with John and just talk about drums and wires, which is a bit off theme because this is a TSE podcast. So, John, thanks for joining me, mate, on a Sunday afternoon. You're welcome, mate. Lovely to see you. Yeah, lovely to see you too, matey. So let's get right into it, as they say, um, trying to be all professional here. Uh, the first first question I wrote down was, when did you join or when did you form the band Drums and Wires UK? Well, after Squire stopped um, touring and we stopped doing anything, you know, uh, I, I think we took a 10-year break before we did anything else with Squire. So uh, in 1984, I found myself at a loss for something to do. So for a few years, I just thought, well, you know, i I've been around with Squire for a few years, you know. I'm just gonna sort of like do do what uh, what musicians do and bum around, write songs, have a good time, go to parties, have girlfriends, split up with girlfriends, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, so it, and then it wasn't until um, late '80s that uh, I hooked up with Nigel Higgs. And we had a kind of common interest in music, and he's he was a, a, a magnificent guitarist, uh, could play in any style. He liked my song, so we put drums and wires together as a kind of thing after after playing two years together in a band called Phoenix, which were a rock band, uh, a covers rock band. But a few of my songs crept into the set around that time. You know, the evolution from Phoenix was Drums and Wires, which was Nigel, the guitarist, me on bass and vocals, and then we got a new drummer. So the songs, some of the songs were carried over from Phoenix into Drums and Wires. And uh, and then, yeah, we, we we did a lot of gigs. We, we, we recorded, you know, two songs for a compilation cd at the time and uh but you know the band kind of split up uh, around 1994 uh and and i kind of forgot about it for a long time i was bringing up my family you know and uh kind of did what most musicians do that are failed pop stars of the 80s you know concentrate on the on the other things in life and that's yeah. what I did, and and it wasn't until two thousand and fifteen that I got back into music. Really excellent. So, Phoenix, I did Phoenix. notice looking looking on your Bandcamp page that actually the you just released some music, some old EPs of music of Phoenix. Yeah, there was. I mean, we we did a in nineteen ninety. I think we did a cassette album, and we called it. I mean, Phoenix was obviously this bird rising from the ashes. Uh, and I had this idea that, oh, yeah, yeah, let's call it 
Phoenix first flight. So we put a cassette album out of, uh, I think there were five original songs, none of them written by myself. Uh, and there were five cover versions that went out on this cassette album. You know, I've put, I've put, I've put the demos that were our original songs up on Bandcamp just for historic purposes. I mean, it's a free download. You know, anyone can download it. Um, but all the other guys that I was, I'm still in touch with uh, from Phoenix, they're, they're all happy about that. It gives them a chance to listen back to it, and it's in in, in good quality because uh, <clears throat> it was from the original master tape that we recorded way back in in nineteen eighty nine, I think it was. You know, the the engineer from the studio there found this, you know, um, one inch tape or something with with all these this stuff on there. So he sent that to me, and I've put it out on Bandcamp as a free download, and uh, and and yeah, and Drums and Wires evolved out of Phoenix. I'll put some links actually to the your new Bandcamp site in yeah. the podcast notes at the end of the show, so that anyone interested can just run along and pop down and listen to some of the music that you recorded and played with Phoenix. The next question was, who were the original members of the band? But were there any other members or colleagues or other musicians from Phoenix that made up the first lineup from Drums and Wires? Only myself, Nigel Higgs, the guitarist I mentioned earlier, and then we had uh, we had an audition for for drummers. I can't remember how many we got through, but eventually we chose a colleague of Nigel's where he worked at the Ocean Granite. Oceanographic Institute in Southampton. You know, he um, he's a scientist. Nigel is a scientist, or was, uh, and uh, and so he introduced uh, a friend of his from from his work who played drums with us for about a year, and um, and it was mainly a covers band. You know, we we we'd go out and do tra tracks by. Uh, the Who and Joe Jackson and XTC and The Stranglers and Crowded House and you know old stuff like Royal Roy Orbison uh, and you know it was a an eclectic mix but all all put put across in a power pop sort of vein. What were the songs that made it from from the band you played in Phoenix and eventually made it, for example, onto the Drums and Wires album Ins and Outs and Roundabouts? Were there any? Yeah, we did a song on the, we, we released as Phoenix, we released a three-track EP called uh, No Time At All, and it was a three-track EP. The A side was No Time At All, and on the B side there was my song, Sunshine Smile, uh, and another track by two of the other writers. So Sunshine Smile um, was conceived for that band basically and it made it all the way you know uh, in 2015 it, it you know it came to the point where Ray said to me uh, we need to record the, all these old songs and that was one that that was one that survived from Phoenix over to Drums and Wires uh, but that was the only one that I wrote oh no no I tell a lie I should have known I should have known we also did in Phoenix 
and I want to see the sun. We also did Infinity. Yeah, I was going to. Sorry, I was going to interrupt, but I was, I was, I was going to interrupt, and I did. Uh, but yeah, what was the difference then between Phoenix obviously disbanded, and then you say you took ten years where you weren't interested in music, and then how did Drums and Wires come into being then afterwards? Well, after the original Drums and Wires, um, yeah, I, I, I spent a lot of time with family and personal issues, and and then one day I bumped into Ray the old drummer. Uh, and he said, let's get in, let's get together in the studio. Let's record all these old songs and put them out. Cause in Ray's words, they need to be heard, Johnny, you know? So, um, so we spent four years putting that stuff together. And this was yeah. Ray Lawrence. Yeah. Who, um, yeah, Ray Lawrence, a drummer who plays with you when you tour, um, go on tour with Squire. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. He is drummer for drums and wires and he is drummer for Squire. But we go back, way back to the 90s. So, yeah, I mean, when Squire um, started touring, Anthony asked us, myself and Ray, to, to join the lineup simply because, you know, I was the ex-Squire bass player and I, and I had a drummer that tagged along with me. Yeah, that drove that all right, didn't it? <laughs> that worked out fine. So when yeah. you got back together with a new reincarnation, if you like, of Drums and Wires... Did you immediately record those first two so, uh, songs on All the Things and Sunshine Smile? Were they the first Drums and Wires tracks you recorded? The first, the first song we recorded was All the Things. That is the first one we did. Uh, and that was one that we never used to play live. You know, I wrote that sort of kind of after, after Drums and Wires version one kind of fell apart because I, I decided to stop playing live gigs. But I did get together with Nigel Hicks in his studio and I did actually, I was his lodger for uh, about a year and we used to record demos in his studio. He turned his, basically his cellar, he turned it into a recording studio. So we used to spend countless hours in there recording demos. Because you know, I actually remember getting my hands on a single copy of All The Things. This was before you released the Drums and Wires album. Yeah. It's things out to roundabouts. I remember you sending over a copy and it was just a single. And I think the version that ended up on um, the album Ins and Outs and Roundabouts was recorded again. It sounded slightly different. Yeah, it was. Nigel recorded his guitar parts. When, when me and Ray decided that we wanted to get together and do my songs, uh, we didn't have a guitarist. I, I did ask Nigel to do it, but Nigel was in the Mediterranean at the time sailing his yacht so uh he couldn't get involved so uh yeah that's what i'm saying you know well, he's struggling in the music business and then nigel nigel has to leave the band and goes out and he can buy a yacht now but super oh. all right nigel only joking not from the earnings from drums and wires i take it no no it's all done for the love of it mate but yeah he um he came along and did some sessions for all the things and sunshine smile and another one tell me i think tell me what to, oh no it was don't look so down anyway he did he played guitar on three of those tracks uh and then you know decided he couldn't put any more time into it so 
the obvious choice for us really was to get a, a, a guitarist in to to do the whole album and uh, and redo those tracks. But they they have surfaced on a on a demo version of the on some demos on my on the latest issue of the album, which you mastered for me, Tony. So um, you know they sound great. You know, so the. The album Ins and Outs and Roundabouts, you said, took four years to record. That's even longer than it took us to record the Where Are the Angels, uh, the R <laughs> album from that yeah. Sonata effect. How did the recording, how did you actually record the album? I mean, where did you record it? How did you record it? Who was involved? Well, the Drums and Wires album. Yeah, the Ins and Outs and Roundabouts. You said it took yeah. four years, but yeah, it took four how years. did you record it? You, you, you didn't go to a recording studio? No, uh, Ray. Uh, Ray originally um, had all his recording equipment sent, set up in his dining room. So most of the backing tracks were done in his dining room <laughs> with his full drum kit set up um, and his all his equipment there, all his mixing desk and all his computer software, etc., speakers and all that was on the other side of the room. I used to have to squeeze into the doorway to do vocal tracks because there was no room for me to to for me to do it. But yeah, all the backing tracks were done in Ray's living room. Uh sorry, dining room. Uh overdubs as well. Les used to come down and um put put guitar tracks down and it was all done in in literally about a 6 foot by 6 foot room with 8 foot ceiling. You know, so uh and and that kind of is a totally different way of uh, recording. It was done over a long, long time. You know, How often were you going into the studio? What was your routine while you were recording? Well, it was, you know, it was it was good to go in once a week. But Ray Ray with his work schedule could only manage about four hours on a Friday each week. So we 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 you know, and then we did take a year break while me and Ray were playing a tour with Squire as well so um you know it was a slow process but so we got we, it out there in the end we talked about les very talented guitarist um he was a Absolutely. member of the band and he's so sadly no longer with us what would you say his major influence was with regard to the overall sound of the band during the recording of the album wow i, well, I, I, I say that because i've listened to obviously nigel play and the guitar styles are, are completely different. If you listen, yeah. for example, to some of the guitar work on all the things, you can hear the difference. Actually, I assume that Ray re-recorded. Sorry, I assume that Les re-recorded the version that ended up on the um, Ins and Outs yeah. Roundabouts album. That's right. Yeah, and it seemed a bit of a change of direction in terms of sound. Was that just yeah. down to Les and his style of playing? I think so. Yeah, because um, Nigel. Um, was and still is a very country orientated guitar player you know you can hear his kind of country style coming into some of the songs like you said if you listen to that demo version of all the things you know you know it's it's much more um country influenced and and the same with sunshine smile you know and uh Les kind of this was the kind of guy i mean we never played live with Les, you know. I, I've known Les since back in the back in the early eighties. He's always been a local musician, a, a local, you know. He was always revered as a 
as as one of the best guitarists around you know and and we kind of you know lost touch i used to work with him in the supermarket actually for about six months really but uh, yeah he was always a great guy always always full of laughs full of jokes and all that and we really got on and then he got into his bands i got into my bands and we kind of lost touch uh, and the and it was only re- in 2016, I think, that Ray said that he'd kept in touch with Les all those years. And and I said, well, Nigel's not going to be able to do the album. So, you know, should we ask Les? And uh, Ray approached Les. Les listened to the songs and said, I'd love to do it. And Les is a guitar collector, or was a guitar. I keep referring to him in the present tense, and it's it's difficult. Yeah, I can imagine. Les, you know, he, he was a big collector of guitars. I, I I would I I wouldn't even imagine the amount of guitars that he bought over the years. But he had a a, a, a collection of some great guitars. And uh, you know, it was you know, with the with the drums and wires album, for instance, he actually bought a Brian May Red Special copy guitar, which must have cost him a lot of money. Oh wow. He actually bought that guitar just to do the solo on on, on a song on the album called Um All of This Time. That's commitment for you. Yeah. You know, he wanted a Brian May sounding Queen solo in that, and 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 he bought the guitar for it. He bought a Strat um, for for most of the other songs on the album. You know, the pop the pop stuff. And he bought a couple of other guitars while we were recording, and said this would be a good one to play on this particular song. And uh, he bought a, a massive influence to the band. Excellent. He, his styles, it's so eclectic, you know, such a versatile guitarist. And not just that, a brilliant songwriter. You know, we, we've got uh, a couple of Les's songs coming out as drums and wires songs on the next album if we, uh, because he, he also wrote pop songs, He, you know, as well as writing surf type songs from the 60s, which he, was a speciality of his. Me and him were working together on a project of some surf songs that he'd written before he sadly passed away. But, you know, we'll get some of this stuff out there because it's, uh, like me, you know, some 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 songs you write, they, they fit into the bands that you're playing in. Or if you're doing several different bands and projects, you know, you, you have to choose and pick between, you know, what, what, which which particular sort of project would that song suit, you know? Yeah, I remember you sent me some early demos of the uh, of the album, and I remember one song that I think was completely transformed when I heard it was "I Want to See the Sun." Oh yeah, the album version has this sublime slide guitar that I can't play. I've never mastered um, slide guitar, and it completely transformed the song, of course, for the better. Um, it's just a great piece of guitar work. Um, yeah, very talented guitarist, and I think you can hear his influence throughout the entire album. Just personally, as a you know, yeah, I'm the involved I mean, in the band. With that particular song, uh, Les said to me, "What what do you want this to sound like? What sort of guitar do you want?" Because he he always used to email me, or phone me, or chat over messenger. He always used to say, "You know, love the song, 
what kind of feel do you want to it? What kind of like, and, and it was like, I was thinking, God, this guy can turn himself to anything, you know? And, and he was such a versatile guitarist. And uh, I Want to See the Sun originally started as uh, an acoustic demo with just me and voice, you know, uh, a very sort of straightforward, mid-paced acoustic song. But uh, when me and Ray put down the backing track for it, I think it had a real Floydy type feel to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, it was kind of sort of like slow paced with like booming bass drums and stuff and uh, and the bass doing all sorts of psychedelic things. So I and, I, and when Ray said, when Led said to me, what do you want me to do on this? I said, just be David Gilmore. <laughs> and he went away and God bless him. He came back with fantastic type of echoes type guitar, you know, like from, from some of the uh, earlier Floyd stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, with Dave Gilmore's slide stuff. Sounds he, excellent. he totally improvised it. You know, it was, you know, I don't know how many takes he did. I wasn't there at the session. He did it. He did that with Ray. But I don't know how many takes they did. But uh, that's the one that we ended up with. And, of course, he did all that stuff at the end of the song as well. You know, I mean. Yeah, I wanted to say, I remember, actually, just a, just an antidote. It's that dark gray, gray mornings when I wake up and I look outside the window that song comes into my head. The beginning of the song just has you saying, I want to see the sun. And uh, Strange you should say that because that song was written. Um, I split up with my first serious girlfriend uh, and that song was written. I was, I was laying in my bedroom, laying on my bed and I was looking out the window and, and where I lived. It kept, I looked up onto a hill with loads of trees and I was looking out there and it was dark clouds and it was peeing with rain and like, and I was like crying to myself that I'd lost this girlfriend even though I treated even though I treated her like a piece of shit you know but um uh and then and then the the phrase came into my head I want to see the sun and I got the notepad out and I thought like I looked out the window the low hung clouds affect my mood darkness fills my every thought the only thing that pulls me through is maybe someday thing will change. I want to see the sun, you know. And that was a very early song that I wrote, but not the earliest. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder where the inspiration come from. And, uh, and now we know the story. Most of my songs are about relationship breakups, mate. You should know that. The, the other question I did have, of course, you answered that, was I just wondered when was the first Drums and Wires UK gig? And it sounds that you... With the lineup, with you, with Ray, and with Les, you never actually played a gig. Never played a gig. My first gig with drums and wires was at the Swan Pub in Hazelmere. And that was me, Nigel Higgs on guitar, and a guy called um, Paul Ridout on drums, who was a colleague of Nigel's at the Institute of Oceanographic Studies in Southampton. Two scientists... And one commoner, it, it, like me, in the band. We just went into the swan. We'd learnt a load of cover versions. There was no original songs in the set, you know. And we did about an hour and a half in the swan pub, and, and it went down a stall. And, and I do believe that uh, Woody was there. Woody turned up. 
Uh, and I think Anthony, I think Anthony, I think actually Woody turned up with Anthony Maynard to see us because they'd seen it in the uh, in the local paper, Drums and Wires, and they immediately thought Drums and Wires made the connection XTC. So they came along thinking it was a it was an XTC tribute band. But it that's was. what I wanted to ask was the the name Drums and Wires UK. I think you've just answered the question, but I'll answer yeah. anyway. I mean, where did you where did you come up with the name? How did you come up with the name? Well, I, I have to give my total, um, you know, thanks there to Andy Partridge of XTC. The third Drums and Wires, always been a big XTC fan. The third Drums and Wires album was called Drums and Wires. Sorry, the third XTC album was called Drums and Wires. <laughs> And I thought that was a fantastic way to explain the music contained within it. You know, it was was... question. I mean, someone who's never heard drums on wires UK or one of the six people who are going to watch this video, how would you describe uh, the genre or the music from drums on wires apart from terrible? Well, yeah, apart from terrible. Oh, I thought you said terrible. Sorry. I was just copying you. No, 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 no. How would I explain it? You know, I think it's a mixture of, I mean, although I've written some early songs that it, that ended up on, on the Drums of Wires album, I mean, the first song I wrote, what? sorry, the second song I ever wrote was called uh, Don't Jump In My Boat. Uh, I, and I wrote that just after joining Squire, because uh, being a member of Squire, I was kind of influenced by that kind of sound. And I thought, oh, yeah, I want to write pop songs. I want to write songs with melodies and sing-along choruses. And so when Squire went inactive while Anthony went to um, California, I spent about six months just writing songs, you know, and they did turn out to be very poppy songs, but uh, with quite dark lyrics. Yeah, Jump In My Boat didn't actually appear in the original version of the album. I know that Ray remix the album yeah and then that song appeared on the remix album but wasn't on the original and that's quite strange if you say that you wrote it very early on yeah it kind of didn't make the first cut for the first six seven no, it the original release it did that that was one that uh i never even considered for the album but when we revisited the seven songs that we put on the album and then we looked at the look back at the ones that we'd put backing tracks down for but hadn't you know worked on there was about five or six songs that uh, that Ray said, well, look, you know, the original version of the album was seven tracks. Let's send it, let's put it out as an expanded version with all these other ones that didn't have, we didn't have time to finish on the album. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. So we spent about three months um, revisiting these old backing tracks and building on them and getting Liz to come in and do his bit. Uh, but Don't Jump In My Boat was one that I dug out. It wasn't, there was no backing track that existed for that one. We actually recorded that one from scratch just to put on the album because it was an old song I'd had. We, you know, we wanted, I wanted to make it a 13 track album because I'm lucky 13, you know. So, uh, but as it turned out, because Les wrote uh, a prelude, to one of my songs orchestrally it turned out to be a 14 track album because that is the song that Les wrote on there before that final song yeah 
the, uh, the album sounds very autobiographical. So <laughs> is, is that true? I mean, a lot of the songs, I think, are, are pop songs. They're great songs. Talk about relationships. And there are some tracks like I Want to See the Sun we already talked about and All of This Time, for example, where you mentioned the prelude. They, they're different from the other power pop songs on the album. I mean, is that just accident or do, do you... Is that deliberate or how 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 come uh, those songs appeared on the album with the other power pop songs, so to speak? Well, I don't know. I must say, yeah, I agree with you that I think I think the album is uh, largely autobiographical. Not not a hundred percent because I do tend to uh, write songs about situations, relationships, be that with a male a female be that be a loving relationship or you know a sexual relationship or whatever you know i do tend to sort of kind of write from a first person perspective even if i'm yeah you know, i mean some of my songs uh if i was to put them down as a play you know they would be like stuart like with Svamato. he said she said you know, yeah you know it's ambiguous really because songs like um, songs like All the Things, um, it talks about all the things and things that you gave. That sounds like a relationship breakup. And then you have another song, um, which I had in the back of my mind, but I completely forgotten about, was Don't Tell Me, Don't Tell Me What to Say. Mm -hmm. Sounds like it's an auto sounds like if it's an argument on record. Are they all about the same person, the relationship? Is it basically the same no. person, the same relationship, or are they about different people, different relationships? You They're all different. Some of them are about, I mean... Uh... I don't know if I should uh, hold my hand up to this, but I've probably had about 25 girlfriends in my lifetime. So, um, <laughs> well, done. I've had, well, it's all good songwriting experience, you know, but tell me what to say was actually not about uh, a girl at all. It, it, a lot of my songs I make very ambiguous. You know, don't jump in my boat. You know, it might sound like a little boy's, you know, somebody sitting in a little rowing boat on the ocean. Uh, but it's, it's actually a much deeper song about um, the trauma of childbirth. Now, work that one out. Yeah, I'll have but to go back and listen, listen to the album. Listen to the lyrics, listen to the lyrics and, and you might get that. As I say, a lot of my songs ambiguous. Tell me what to say is really about not being able to communicate with my parents. So, um, you know, that's, that's another thing. Uh, all the things was a, a basic breakup relationship pop song, you know, uh, all, all the, all the things that, uh, your girlfriend at the time bought you, uh, as a gift, be it a necklace, you know, be it a ring, be it a, an item of clothing. Uh, and you split up with this person after however long uh, and then you can't really face looking at all that stuff no. and like you know it's hidden in my wardrobe out of you you know it's that that that's that is a definite relationship song you know what was the one after that i should have known another relationship song uh, but more of a regret about how how i could have dealt with things better in that relationship uh, I want to see the sun. I've explained to you. It's yep. just purely a, song. Yep. about about the depression following a, a breakup. Uh, tell me again. I've told you. 
Then there was Don't Look So Down. That's about that's about uh, a childhood friend of mine. Can't really say out much more about that, but we grew up together. We lived next door to each other. Uh, and, you know, I didn't realise until a much, much later date that he'd been through some serious problems with his parents and stuff. Then we had... You haven't got the track list in there, have you, Tony? No, I haven't. No. I meant to actually print it out. Oh, look, sit down. Then it was Sunshine Smile, wasn't it? Sunshine Smile, again, about a beautiful girl that I went out with who didn't treat me as nicely as I thought she would, you know? It's all great inspiration. It's all both ways, though, you know? Looking looking back on such things, you know, I was an answer as well. I'm sure you weren't. Yeah. Uh, after that was There Goes Your Life Again. That was back in the 80s when XTC were writing songs like Living Through Another Cuba or Melt Mel the Guns. You know, it was around the time of the Cold War. Uh, and, you know, everyone was worried about, you know, uh, oh, we don't want a, we don't want a repeat of all this nuclear war nonsense. Um, I wrote another song at the time called Love in a Bunker. Which I'm going to resurrect for the new album. As well. I think you should. I've heard it. It's very good. Where did yeah. you get the ideas from? The album was called Ins and Outs and Roundabouts, and yeah. I think actually there was another EP or the re-release was called Ups and Downs and Merry Go Rounds. This imagery of of playgrounds and fun fairs was that something you deliberately decided you know to do right at the very beginning, or did it just come to you in a flash, an idea, or some kind of inspiration? Well, the the original album. I decided to call Ups, Downs and Merry-Go-Rounds. That was the original seven-track album that we put out. And and I thought that was just a great way of explaining the album material within. You know, it was like life is basically ups, downs and merry-go-rounds, you know, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Mm. Ins, Outs and Roundabouts was going to be the name of the second album which uh, uh, under discussion with Ray and Ben, considering what happened with Les and stuff, we're, we're not going to do that, that album yet, but we're going to put out uh, a five-track EP uh, and, the, and the title track, of, or I say the title track, it might not be first on the, t- on the EP, but uh, one of the songs within the five-track EP is called Ins, outs, and roundabouts. Yeah, I was going to come kind on. Of, yeah, that was kind of yeah. just my alliteration of some kind that ups, downs, merry-go-rounds, ins, outs, roundabouts, and then the third one will be called lefts, rights, and dizzying heights. That's very good. That's actually, a, I haven't heard that before. <laughs> and yeah, if you hear the, if you hear one of the new songs on the new EP called ins, outs, and roundabouts, you will find all three of those phrases in the chorus ups yeah. downs merry-go-rounds ins outs roundabouts lefts rights and dizzying heights that's brilliant so that's there's no other way we can go is there you know there's no other dimensions you no. up down around left right fights <laughs> you know I, I don't know what else to i don't think there's a fourth one that i can think of but i i'm sure if, you might do if there is i will yeah the um, I was going to come on and talk about the, the EP kind of at the end to wrap things up, but another question, just going back to Les, Les Black and his influence on the band. 
and unfortunately we know he passed away in tragic circumstances but how did you decide to continue uh, did, did you did you think immediately we're going to get someone new or how difficult was it to carry on afterwards we after ray gave me the news which was around christmas of um 2021 we both kind of were in shock so we we kind of thought you know our main concern at the moment was for his family for his kids and, and we didn't even think about drums and wires and i said to ray at the time i said look we're just gonna have to put i don't know what's gonna happen with the band we'll put this on hold and then about we went to his funeral and to his reception afterwards at the, at the Prince of Wales in Hammer, Hazelmere. And we met all these people and all these, all these people that Les knew that were musicians, singers. You know, the music world turned up in droves for his funeral and for his wake. And so people got talking, and 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 it, and it was decided between myself and Ray that we need to put a tribute gig together. So uh, and and invite loads of people to come along and celebrate Les's life as a musician, songwriter, and friend. And that's what we did, you know. So we decided to concentrate on the next six months of. Ray had to spend a lot of time getting the other bands together that we that were playing at this tribute gig. They were all bands that Les had played in. They were all bands that Les had written music for, including us, of course, Drums and Wires. But of course, we needed a guitarist, didn't we? You know, we, we yeah, wanted well, to play in tribute to Les, but we needed a guitarist. And uh, Ben Ben Hughes was suggested to Ray. I can't remember by who. We'd have to ask Ray for that. But Ben was introduced to me. He he came along to some rehearsals at Ray's and said that he was interested. He said he loved the first album. He loved the guitar. He loved Les's playing, and that he'd like to give it a go. And he's he's kind of I think he's about forty six. And don't tell him I said that. You might have to cut that out. Makes me feel young. I'd actually it might be thirty six. Sorry, Ben. But yeah, he's the younger influence in the band. You know, he's well into, you know, things like the Smiths. He he's got that kind of just jangly, lovely guitar style, and he fits in perfectly. Which I'm sure you've heard, um, Tony, because he's played on some of our Sfumato stuff as well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Um, uh, a <laughs> song called uh, "Don't Come Easily," which you've written, and will probably be our next single release uh, at the moment as we speak it's being mastered yeah our mastering engineer today said he was working hopefully today mastering the song and uh, ben plays superb guitar on that track excellent rhythm guitar and yeah. a server that makes the entire song very very talented guitarist yeah but we decided after the after the gig last christmas uh to celebrate les we decided you know um we wanted to put some some of my short snappy poppy songs down as as another drums and wires thing just to just to keep it going really yeah uh, and it was just something different to what i was doing with you and stuart you know which was a lot more intricate if you know what i mean 
it's it's nice to get away and thrash out a three-piece drums bass guitar you know and uh, uh and just record it in its simplest raw form raw form, raw form really yeah because i sense i'll talk about the new ep in in a minute but in a, in a minute in a minute i can't <laughs> in my, a minute i think good now i just a quick questions I've, I've i just wanted to ask this as a typical sort of like you know music press question is you know what's what's your favorite drums and wires uk song if you could pick one and your least favorite and and why right all the things is my favorite yeah really yeah simply because it was it was one that we never played live back in the 90s because i wrote it kind of after the band sort of fell apart but it was one that i really thought was a lovely lovely melodic pop song absolutely and it came to me that yeah i mean it was the first song that i recorded with ray uh and we looked at each other after we got the backing track down uh and everything and we got the guide vocal down ray looked at me and just double thumbs up you know said this sounds you know like the monkeys you know so it was uh you know we put all the all the harmonies on made it a real pop extravaganza there's about six part harmonies on that so yeah no, it's, it's just good. it's just the one that i always thought was at the time i thought it was my best song i'm still not sure but it's it's the one i love listening to and if you had to have a least favorite one or one that didn't turn out the way that you hoped it would, or oh. you think, oh, I wish I'd gone back and re-recorded, I could do a much better job on that one. Not that the song is bad in itself, you know, yeah. trying to say that they're awful songs, but maybe a song that is... Yeah, there's one, there's one on the album called Probably. It's kind of, on the album, it's kind of a sort of reggae type, you know. Yeah, I know the song, yeah. Scar type bass. You know, very empty sounding song with lots of drum echo and all that. Yeah, I I originally recorded that as a demo uh, and made it a lot more uh, of a flowing pop extravaganza with loads of harmonies and ooh kind of like a sort of um, let it be type thing. You know, I mean, it faded out to a chorus you know you can sing along and clap your hands to and then ray decided that he wanted to try it out as this well literally horrible thing that ended up on the album as far as i'm concerned uh it's, right. it's my least so it's one of the ones i'm proudest of the lyrics about i must say because it's it's called probably because uh you do you remember those adverts back in the 80s where like Heineken used to, or Carlsberg used to, yeah, probably advertise. the best lager in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, at the time I was out gigging with Squire and Phoenix after that, and doing about six pints a night. So, um, so I decided, you know, uh, I decided I've got to cut this down. I've got to get off this. So I had a little bit of a booze problem then. So and uh, and. You know, while I was abstaining, I wrote this song called Probably, simply referring to that advert, you know, probably the best lager in the world. And if you listen to the lyrics of Probably, it sounds, another one of mine, sounds like a love song. Sounds like you're singing about a, a girl or a relationship, but it, it is a relationship. It's my relationship with booze. Fair so, enough. So that's basically, uh, if you, 
yeah, that's what I like about. I mean, there's so many songs by artists I love. You know, you, you you listen to it for so many years, and then you actually think to yourself, "Yeah, I'm going to really listen to the lyrics," and then it turns out to be just something a lot deeper or um, different from what you thought. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get no, caught up in the melodies of stuff, uh, and kind of the lyrics kind of go in one ear and out the other, don't they? Yeah, I mean, listening to some of your lyrics, you've uh, in in um, in this podcast, you've actually shown that um, my initial idea from listening to the lyrics is completely wrong. <laughs> that's just well, that's given you something to think about now, hasn't it? It has. It's just the way it goes. I mean, if yeah. you listen to modern popular music, I think it's important you listen to the lyrics and you interpret them the way that they relate to your life. They might have a completely different meaning. Mm. And I'm sure whoever writes them. Yeah, they probably say, "Yeah, well, that's quite nice that you uh, that you like the lyrics. If you don't get what I'm saying, that's fine. But as long as they yeah. move in some way, I think that's as an artist, I think that's exactly what you're looking for." Yeah, moving so, on to finishing the album. Yeah, after um, probably we did we did uh, "There Goes Your Life" again, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that one about nuclear yeah worries, and then we did. Uh, Probably. And then there's one called Come On Now, right? Yeah, which I actually yeah. like. And I remember I chatted with you on Messenger and I, I really like the song yeah. because it reminds me a lot of that pop genre from like R.E.M. Um, it's even got a bit of Oasis in there. Yeah. Influence. And I really like the chorus to that song. Yeah. But you weren't too fond of it, I, I found out when you replied. Well, it wasn't... Uh, I think it's a great song and I think it's got a great melody. But I think the the reason that I'm not too fond of it is a perfectly selfish one, uh, and not and not to diss anybody else in the songwriting world. This song was um, actually uh, an amalgamation of lyrics written by myself, mixed with lyrics written by a guy called Mike Bell, who was in Phoenix with me. Oh, I see. And we okay. wrote we wrote the first draft of this song. We wrote it together, and it was totally different lyrics. But I thought I'm going to keep some of the lyrics because I wrote the music. So I thought I'll keep some of his lyrics. Like, which side of the road are you standing on? Um, I liked that. So I kept the tune, kept some of his lyrics in the chorus, and then uh, I had another guy uh, who I'm friendly with called Rainy Eskenazi, who's from Israel. And he sent me a set of lyrics um, about a, a personal um, issue of his own, you know, involving something that I'd been through as well. And I kind of connected with him on those lyrics, and I and I incorporated some of his lyrics into the song as well. So it was kind of only a third written by me, which is probably why I don't like it as much as the stuff that. Is completely written by me because I mean it's not to be uh, egotistical about it. It's about you know quality control and and what you you know I'm in control of what I, what what it sounds like when it goes out there. If I'm the one who's writing it and I'm the one who's singing it and I'm the one who's playing bass on it, you know if I'm using other people's lyrics, I'm worried about whether I've portrayed those lyrics how they wanted them, you know, and stuff yeah. like that, you know, yeah. No, I, I I I completely understand. I mean, some of the stuff I produced for TSE songs you've written, one appeared on the album. We've got a new single coming out, which you've also written the lyrics and the music um, um, to as well. And Stuart songs. It's always difficult, difficult, 
difficult, <laughs> difficult. Um, to try and interpret, obviously, with the music, what, what the person's trying to say. And from a music musical point of view, I mean, it's well documented on, documented on other podcasts, is that, you know, I try and write certain bits of music and then Stuart or yourself will come back and say, well, you know, yeah, that's not really what I had in mind when I mm -hmm. wrote the music or I wrote the song. So um, a collaboration is always difficult, I think, because you're always making artistic compromises. Yeah, that's right. But so, it, works. Uh, just, it works with TSE. Yeah, and somehow it, it somehow works. I think we're all just laid back and... Um, we, um, if we have any grievances, we just go and kick our toys in the pram in the corner, and you know we just basically they, they don't often happen, do they? I mean, uh, I, I'm, no. you know, uh, you know me, I rejoice at everything that you send me. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, no, I'm not really a good critic of whether something is awesome when no. when I know it is. Yeah, I used to be completely different. I mean, back in the day, I remember I used to go and watch local bands, and I used to go with you, maybe, and I used to go with Stuart. And if we thought a band were terrible, we would uh, we would be quite unkind in our comments about them. Yeah. Today, I would never ever do that because obviously, you know, you realise obviously music is subjective, and the work that goes into well, even creating a band and then putting a set together and rehearsing, there's a lot of work. So I used to be very very sort of snobbish, if you like, about certain genres of music, but I wouldn't be like that today. Mm hmm. Maybe uh, some genres I just don't get, you know, like hip hop and rap. I mean, I appreciate the skill, but it just doesn't speak to me. I don't know whether it's because it doesn't have the, you know. Oh, it's called getting older, mate. Yeah, it's called getting older. Yeah, anyway, yeah, top, yeah. What I want to do with Roundup is because the exciting thing with Ben Hughes, that's the current lineup, yourself and uh, Ray Lawrence. Yeah. You're working on a new P as we speak. And oh. it'll have new material. And from what I've heard so far, um, the material sounds a little bit different from the material that or the songs that were recorded and you've written for the Ins and Outs and Roundabouts album. Ups, Downs and Merry-Go-Rounds was that the one. That's the one. I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, after, to carry on, after the Christmas gig with Ben and Ray, we thought we had a good sound. So um, we decided that we were going to record this five-track EP I was busy with you and Stuart doing this Fomato album, uh, and it was delayed for this. This drums and wires thing was delayed for a long time, but Ben was very patient. Uh, and then we decided, you know, about three months ago, uh, let's get it together. Let's do this, and uh, and that's what we've done. But we're doing it as whereas the last album took four to five years complete with loads of revisits and overdubs and months in between doing anything um myself and ray and ben decided at this time we would do it we'd all we'd know the songs we'd rehearse the songs we'd get together we'd do the backing tracks and then we'd put on maybe two guitar overdubs and maybe two backing vocal overdubs so it's also it's all being recorded live basically yeah, I'm lucky enough to hear it, and it, it, it does sound very, very fresh. Uh, I've yeah. heard a couple of songs. I know that some of the mixes that you've kindly sent over are more advanced than others, but yeah. um, some of them, they sound it sound exactly like that. They sound quite fresh, and they sound quite, they sound live almost, and I think that's actually, yeah. that's um, that's that's a positive, but it is completely different to some of the production work. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've we've not got multi-track six-part harmonies and, uh, and fiddly bass lines, which is what I did on the first album. Because I had the had the you know I had the space to do that because it wasn't anything to do with 
a live project. It was a, it was a studio project, but now we're thinking that it would be nice to get out next year and do some live gigs. So my songwriting and our arrangements are kind of more geared towards the three-piece bass drums guitar. Right. Uh, what, what are the songs coming up on the EP, and what are they? Can you tell us anything about them? Well, I'll do them from the, from the order we've recorded them. There's one called Did I Tell You, which is a very upbeat, fast, punchy song. Uh, basically about a love-hate relationship with your missus. Then then uh, after that, I think, is uh, Plenty More Fish, which is another heart back to um, some some old bloke like me complaining that uh, if there's so many fish in the sea, where the <laughs> hell are they? Oh, uh, if you knew what I was going to say. The, the third track will be a song called Rain Through Trees, which is written by Ben, our guitarist. I have, uh, I'm in the process of writing a vocal line and some lyrics for it. So it's going to be a kind of a slow song on the album. We've been showing off his uh, wonderful acoustic guitar skills. Okay. And and as I say, I'm doing a vocal for it. Uh, currently, currently the lyrics are veering towards um, a reflective mood as I'm older of things as you know a reflective a reflective look back on 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 a life spent uh on well the, on the edge like myself <laughs> but and the very last song will be the actual title track probably called ins outs and roundabouts which is basically a very um poppy sing-along four-minute um journey through uh whatever Rick Pop, Beatles, you tell me, mate. So this will be the this will be the first release. Um, you released the album, then you released a single called "Always There," which was a single. That's right. That ended up, that ended up on the remix album. Yes. So this release will probably be, if you like, the first release of new material since the album. Is that correct? Or absolutely, it... yeah, yeah. This is Drums and Wires Mark Three. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Still called Drums and Wires UK, but. We, the only reason we were called Drums and Wires UK was because there was a Drums and Wires in America. Right, okay. And we thought, you know, if, if we do ever get to sort of like dominate America, we might have a problem with the lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah. But anyway, uh, I'd still call us Drums and Wires, but the name's taken. So when's this going to be released? When can this will be released? Order it? The, the, um, the planned date. We're we're pretty ahead of schedule actually because we we recorded the backing track for the fourth song yesterday, and so we've only got one more to go. Excellent. So uh, my my pre order release date is the first of July, but it may maybe a little bit before then. And you're recording round. Ray has a studio now. I think Ray has a studio. Yes graduated from the dining table that he built um that he that he um invested in and built um during the lockdown gave him a project to uh get on with and uh so yeah it's the, that's where we do everything now you know it's it's a great space is the new ep only going to be available download or are you planning no. to release on ep or vinyl sorry on vinyl or on cd format or not vinyl you know too expensive 
too expensive unless there's a big demand for it. But no, it's coming out. It'll be on a five-track CD pre-order. Of so just, it's, a, it's, a, it's available to pre-order now, is it? It is on Bandcamp, yeah, on johnbicknell.bandcamp.com. I'll put a link in, in the program notes. If people want to go on there, you, you can pre-order the CD version uh, and then you get to hear some of the demo versions and some of the in-progress versions that we're, we're doing at the moment. So Excellent. And then um, on the date of when the pre-order's released, people can download the actual finished version. So Do you have a release date yet or is it just... Yeah, 1st of July. 1st of July. But that's... You know, that's the provisional release date. You know, it might take a bit later, but it might be earlier. And when this is when this is released, I know that um, you've got some more commitments with Squire coming up. In between, will there be any chance for any drums and wire uh, drums and wires UK gigs, or when are you planning to go live? Yeah, but no, we'll, me and Ray will have to start rehearsing with Anthony around July. A mid July at the very latest, um, because we've got a headline gig in Brighton uh, at the end of August, and then we've got about a month before we go on tour with Secret Affair, which is a fifteen-day tour over the UK, which will keep us busy. Sounds great. I don't think there'll be any time for drums and wires stuff until early next year. But then, having said that, Ray is very keen to. Uh, carry on recording backing tracks as and when he can and when we can the problem is is the kit that he's using in the studio is the one he uses live with right uh, squire right so we've so, got to get it done as quick as possible really yeah exactly right john well that was that was great i think we've almost hit the hour mark i think that's perfect um good to talk to you about drums and wires because normally when we're on our podcasts here on the tse podcast we talk about everything to do with tse yeah um so anyway, thanks for taking the time out on Sunday. Good luck with the EP uh, release, and I look forward to getting a autograph signed copy yeah. release before anybody else gets their hands on it. You you always get you always get to hear before anybody else, mate. Anyway, Cheers, good, good to talk to you, Tony. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll, I'll talk to you later. Take care, John. Bye, mate, and you. Bye. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the podcast and we hope that you join us for another episode very soon. Until then, cheerio.